Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. I'm glad we still preach a gospel that says if any man be in Christ, all things are become new. All things pass away. We preach this message of, of change and I thank God for it. And every time we walk in that door, we ought to come in saying, God, I need you to work on me a little bit. I need you to do something in me. I need you to adjust the way I think. I need you to adjust the way I feel. I need you to change how I talk. We ought to come to the house of God every service and hoping, praying, asking God to change us. it been since on a Tuesday afternoon you called your pastor and said can I get into the church I just want to go pray a while I feel God tugging on my heart how long has it been since you fasted a day not because your pastor asked you to but just because the spirit of God was pulling on you how long has it been since God changed your life read today from 1 Samuel chapter 5 and verse number 1, 1 Samuel 5, I'll read beginning in verse 1. Thank you again for your kindness. It's just a joy to be with you here today. 1 Samuel 5, 1 says this, and the Philistines took the ark of God which and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Dagon was an idol that was half fish and half man. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon had fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. Kind of a sad thing when you have to prop your God up. (laughs) And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, but something different this day. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Now look at this next verse. When I was in Bible school, one of my instructors always said, when you see the word therefore, you should always find out what it's there for. Verse 5, therefore, because of this encounter, because of this experience that they had just had, therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on that place where that happened. His head and his hands were cut off on the threshold. And, and therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house. I used to think that meant they quit going there. It doesn't say that. It says those that, that come into Dagon's house, they just did not step on that place where they saw the power of God work change. They still came to church. They just stepped over that part of it where God changed people. That, that place where Dagon's head got rearranged, that place where his hands changed, they... They still came to church. It was an idol temple, I grant you that. They still came to worship. They just would not stand on that place where they had witnessed the power of God make change in somebody. So my admonition to you today is 
Folks, if we're going to go to this thing about coming to church, let's be real careful that we don't jump the threshold. Let's not jump the threshold. Amen. If you'll smile, you can be seated. If you're going to be a grump, I just assume you remain standing <laughs> so we can spot you. <laughs> There's a couple of you that just lied, but we'll have altar service after a while. I am so glad to be a part of a church that recognizes, declares, preaches, believes, and practices that the power of God can change a life. Man, I would not want to be a part of a congregation or a church entity or any kind of organization or any kind of religious movement that did not really believe that you can walk in that door one way and you can walk out another way. I'd hate to have to face down this crazy world we're living in and say, well, we've got a class and in about 16 weeks I'll help you modify some behavior. No, I am so thankful you can run in the biggest drug addict in this city down to this altar and in one moment of being born again of water and spirit, his life can be changed. I'm glad we still preach a gospel that says if any man be in Christ, all things are become new. All things pass away. We preach this message of, of change, and I thank God for it. I wouldn't want to have tried to pastor those years. I wouldn't want to even preach in pulpits if I didn't really believe that anybody whose life is broken can be healed in the altar. And that's I, I thank God for that. Thank God. The church, is if it's not an agent of change in people's lives, it's a just a nice religious club we come to. If the day would ever come that a church cannot offer the broken lives that come through its doors a remedy for both the cause and the effect of sin, then we've lost our purpose. But I thank God that in the apostolic ranks, there's still this message that says you just come just like you are. God loves you like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like you are, and your life can be changed by the power of the gospel. And it is true that anyone who comes into this place should expect to be changed. Oh, I'm not suggesting that every guest that parks out in your lot or along the street and crosses through those doors understands or even anticipates really that some manner of eternal shift in their spiritual fortunes is about to take place. In many cases, they probably don't even understand that such a change is possible yet. Offering them that hope and facilitating that opportunity is our responsibility. That's why we come together. But I'm not preaching to all them today. I'm preaching to us for just a little while. Those of us who have tasted his power to change our lives ought to walk in that door every time expecting it to happen again. I fear the danger is that we look at spiritual change and say, well, that's what God did for me back then. That's what God did for me back when I was a sinner. I got news for all my new friends here in Sparta. You're still a sinner saved by grace. And every time... And every time we walk in that door, we ought to come in saying, God, I need you to work on me a little bit. I need you to do something in me. I need you to adjust the way I think. I need you to adjust the way I feel. I need you to change how I talk. We ought to come to the house of God every service and hoping, praying, asking God to change us. I rise to confront you with this fact that we born again, Holy Ghost filled children of God have got to realize God wants to work change in us too. Regenerate change is not just the gift offered to the unchurched. 
It's not just the exclusive possession of those that are still bound in gross sin and have never touched the cross. It is the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives every time we get together. The danger we have is that we walk in and we compare ourselves to what we used to be and we say, I'm so much better, I think I'm okay. The right perspective is to walk in and compare ourselves to Jesus Christ and say, I've still got a long way to go to be like my Lord. Until I walk in and I'm like him, I can't take a service off and say, God, just leave me alone today. I really don't need it. No, when I look into the majesty of who Jesus is and I see how far I've got to go to be like him, then every Sunday, every midweek service, every Sunday school class, every time we come together, we've got to be asking God, work on me. Change me, God. I need you to break me again. Some area of our thinking, our behavior, our conduct, our devotion, our consecration is to be altered when we're together by exposure to his word and his spirit. I cannot stay like I am. In fact, I would present to you this morning, it is a grave and a dangerous condition to resist change. Oh, I'm not just... Oh, look, okay. So I'm 54 years old, all right? And... (laughs) For some of them, they're going, wow, and he's functioning without oxygen. I know, I know, it's amazing. I know, I know, I know, I get it. And and for some of you, you're going, he's just a kid. I know, I get it. Thank you. I, I like you better than them. That's okay. Uh, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm 54, but I, I, have, I have pretty much, for the most part, settled into routines in my life. I like what I like, and I don't, I, I, I don't want to change. You know, I just, guys guys are bad about this, you know. Some old shirt, and it's got nine holes in it and 14 stains, but it fits. I'll get rid of it. Don't throw that away. That's a good shirt. Uh, (laughs) Change. You get get you, guys, you know that feeling when you get that easy chair that finally fits you? You've worked on it for 10 years to get every little thing just right, and and then they want it to redecorate. I'm like, no, it fits. I don't want to change. We get comfortable in, in, in where we are, you know, and we get settled and we get we have certain patterns of behavior and certain modes of operation and certain ways we do things. And I, in the natural realm, I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that, nothing bad about that. But there is a danger when we bring that into the spiritual part of our lives that says, I've just gotten pretty comfortable. I, I, I'm pretty good. I'm better than I used to be. Well, I hope so. There's a dangerous thing, this mindset of contentment with who we are and what we are until we come to church with very little anticipation that God is going to do anything substantive in our lives. If you were to be told God's going to really change somebody today, our first thought is, I wonder what crack addict's going to come in. Hey, I want you to know today I've got a prophetic word. God's going to change somebody in this house. And we say, oh, great. I wonder what kind of broken derelict is going to come in off the street. Because we assume great change has worked in somebody that has never known him. But what if God got up, well, when you got up this morning, God looked at you and said, this is going to be the day that I take them deeper in their prayer life than they've ever been before. This is going to be the day that if they'll open themselves to me, I'll take them to new places in my spirit they've never had before. I say when we come to this house, we've got to come in open saying, God, what do you want to do to me? What do you want to work in me? Change me. But the danger is that we 
get into this mode and this pattern and this thing where we arrive with the full expectation that we're going to leave just like we came. And for the most part, we seem okay with that. It starts simply and perhaps even innocently. We're tired, we're discouraged, we're weary and well-doing, whatever. And so we just sit one out. There's really no reason to get actively involved in praise today. I'll just sit here and listen to them sing. There's no need to worship deeply. I don't need to shout amen to the preaching. I don't really have any compulsion to hasten to the altar. I don't want to linger in prayer. I just, there's no passion to be perfected. No real hunger for change. I'm just a little tired. I'll just go home like I came. I came here saved. I'll go home saved. I'm no worse off than I was. I'm still the same man that came to church. And how bad is that? But see, the danger is... I suppose in one sense for one service, I don't know if it's all that bad, but the danger is that one detached worship service leads to another detached worship service and one avoided altar makes the next one much easier to avoid and one time of fighting off conviction hones our skills so it gets easier to ignore conviction and one moment of quenching his spirit perfects that talent in us hear me until one service becomes two and two becomes a month and a month becomes a year and a year becomes a life and we're not advancing in the spirit and we're not getting closer to God and we're not growing like he wants because we've gotten content to come to church and not be changed. We become quite proficient at coming to church and not being changed. Because see the scriptures very clearly tell us that we go from glory to glory. We move from faith to faith. We are not transformed into its image in one divine moment of holy creation, but through the ongoing process of sanctification. And so if I am not moving toward Jesus, if I am not growing in him, if I am not allowing his presence to shape me in every service, then I am slipping into the grave of complacency and self-deception We don't reach any point in our life or in our spiritual journey where we can say, I've matured enough, thank you. I've grown enough. I don't need anything more. I've heard all the preaching. I've sung all the songs. I've prayed all the prayers. I've done all the work. I'll just idle my way from here into eternity. That mindset is a curse, my friends, whether it occurs at 20 or 40 or 60 or 80. In fact, any opinion that I have arrived is actually a testimony to my spiritual blindness. Is this uncomfortable? I'm sorry. No, I'm not really. Revelation 3.17. I don't remember if I gave you that one or not. Revelation 3.17. He says, because thou sayest, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I have need of, what's it say? I have need of nothing. Pastor, preach a good sermon. Somebody probably needs it. There's a great old story about a guy that, Pastor, see, uh, I'm a recovering pastor. And uh, there's there's a a great old story told about this pastor. And every time he got done preaching, man, every service he'd get done, he had this one one old rascal that come up to him and say, Woo, Pastor, that was good. I know Sister Smith needed that. And, and and the next service, oh, Pastor, that was good, man. I know Brother Johnson needed that. And one night they had a snowstorm. And, and, and the pastor came and only one other person showed up, and it was that guy. 
I got him tonight, dude. I mean, it was like sniper's crosshairs right on that dude's forehead. He preached everything. He he, he, he preached everything he could think of that fellow needed to hear. And when he got done, that guy came up to him and said, Whoa, Pastor, that was good. It's sure shame Brother and Sister Brown weren't here. I know they could have used that. <laughs> Reached that thing where he said, you, you just say, I don't need anything. I'm fine. I'm doing great, Pastor. Thank you. It's a good sermon. Enjoyed the service. Great music. When's the next potluck? But he says, when we start having that, and, and he said, well, I would never say that. No, it's not about, it's what was that attitude, though. And he said, when you say that, when you say I'm rich in creeps of goods, I have need of nothing, he said, you don't even know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That attitude testifies to my spiritual blindness. The more I say I don't need anything, the more I feel like I'm just good enough as I am, the more I am testifying to the fact that I have not looked into the mirror of God's word in a little while and seen an accurate reflection of what I look like. You know what? I, you're looking at a guy that's been living for God since I was a kid. I got the Holy Ghost when I was seven I've never known anything else but I want Jesus I think more today than I've ever wanted him in my life all those years of development and I think I'm hungrier after him at this season of life than I was when I was a kid I'm so desperate to be closer to him I want him I want something to well up in us and says God change me work on me my prayer life's not what it needs to be work on me God I don't have it all together change me Lord Feel compelled by the Spirit today to preach to the echoes of His voice in your soul, to speak to those forgotten moments when His Spirit would call you to His side and to call you back to hunger that you knew at one time and to offer you the blessing, the same blessing that we preach to every broken life that comes through that door, the ability, the privilege, the blessing of change. As a foundation in the scriptures i take you to a very dark season in israel's history israel is laboring in a time of ungodliness due to samuel's son's corruptions of god's ways god's judgment is against them because of their sin that's always the case you know what you know god always stands against sin oh it's gonna get ugly right now you know god doesn't just stand against sin in lives of people out there he don't like sin in my life I don't like sin in yours either. See, our sins are different now. We're not out carousing in bars anymore. We've just got pride. I may amen myself in a minute. It, 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 the sins change and, and we get a little better at hiding them. But God is against sin. God's against sin that everybody knows about, and God's against sin that nobody knows about. Don't allow the enemy to ever convince you that your public image is of more consequence than your private character. I don't care if you sit on this platform, the back row, the sound booth, or on the front lawn. God's forbearance and long-suffering and mercy is never to be confused with his approval of any wicked way in me. Though he will be patient and he will give chance after chance after chance for repentance and change, Still, we've got to come to grips with the fact that if we don't change, a day of reckoning will come. God still stands against sin. Just because I've been baptized in Jesus' name one day doesn't give me a free pass. Either in this life or in the next, it's going to be dealt with. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. 
who shall confess and forsake of them shall have mercy. That seems like a good plan of attack. Confessing and forsaking. Worshiping in a truth-breaching church. You've got a great church here. I hope you're aware of that. I hope you know that. You're blessed people. I'm impressed today. Thank God. You're blessed people. You've got a great pastor and wife. I think the world of them. You're blessed people. I hope you know that today. But, 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 and, 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 and you're a part of the United Pentecostal Church, which I'm in it up to my neck, and I think it's the greatest thing going. But, folks, just because you've got apostolic on your sign and you're part of the UPC and you've got a Holy Ghost-filled godly pastor, that doesn't get you to heaven either. Sitting in, the, in this service, singing these great songs, dressing and acting the part doesn't buy me a dispensation for things that are wrong in my life. I have to be changed. The Bible is quite clear in Luke 20 and 18. Jesus said, whosoever fall, falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Man, God's kind of tough sometimes. He says, you really only got two choices here. You either throw yourself on God and let him break you in this life, or at some day the stone will fall on you and grind you to powder. That's the only two options. You know what I've decided? I would a lot rather bow my knee here by voluntary choice and say, God, work on me and change me than to tremble in his presence one day because I never did and have to bow before him that day and let my tongue confess he's Lord. No. I want to, you know what? The altar is still your friend, folks. The altar is still your, I feel the Holy Ghost. The altar is still your friend. It wasn't just your friend when you first came to church. The altar is still your friend. Got to be changed. Israel, man, so they're living wrong and God's judgment is against them and they're going to battle against the Philistines. I'm guessing most of you are reasonably familiar with the story. And the Ark of the Covenant is taken by the nation of Philistia. It was the most cherished possession of the nation, the visible symbol of the presence of an invisible God. It was the earthly resting place of God's glory, the tangible link they had to an intangible creator. And the Philistines took this thing as a trophy in battle, and they carried it down to the city of Ashdod. And in Ashdod, they had that temple there to Dagon, who was a fish god. <laughs> Don't try this at home. They put the ark in the temple of Dagon, the fish god, in Ashdod. I practiced that. That's the only reason I could do that, all right? <laughs> they, they said, <laughs> I got a Charlie horse in my tongue, but I got it out. <laughs> they put that, 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 that uh, ark in front of the idol, and, and they turned the lights out and went to bed, and they got up the next morning to discover that they had presented it as some kind of perverse alt offering to an altar of stone, but in the morning they were discovered, they were amazed when they saw that Dagon had more sense than Israel because he had at least fallen off his pedestal in silent prostrate obeisance to the one true and living God. And so these pagans, lacking any understanding of what had taken place, took Dagon and they set him back up. They put a T-shirt on him and said, Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. And on the next morning, they came back in to discover that not only had he fallen again, but this time there was substantive change in his life. His head had been cut off and his hands had been cut off. But the Bible uniquely gives us the location. It said they were cut off on the threshold. And because of that, these I 
idolaters were shaken to their core. They could not deny that something supernatural had happened there. This frightful demonstration of God's power put fear in their hearts. And so they put the ark, they took it out, they sent it on a course that ultimately returned it to Israel. They sent it down to Eglon and then to, and then to Gath. And they said, get that thing out of here. But the amazing thing was this. The lingering memory of what they had witnessed in that place changed how they came to church. The Bible says from that day forward, the priests of the place, nor the people that worshiped there, when they came to that house, they would walk up to that place, the door, the threshold, and when they got there, they would ever so carefully step over that place where the power of God had worked that change because they wanted to come to church. They just didn't want to risk getting their head rearranged. They wanted to think the same way they had always thought. Don't touch my hands. I want to do what I've always done. I don't want my schedule rearranged. I don't want my priorities rearranged. I don't want my emotions rearranged. I just want to come to church and clap on two and four. I just want to raise my hands when the song gets done. I want to put five bucks in the plate. I'm being generous for some. And just go on my way. I don't want to... I've seen people go down to that altar and they live different. I've watched people get their lives rearranged when they got in that place where God touched them. And you have to understand that's not what I came for. And so they would not place their foot in that place where God changed that idol. They would not allow themselves to be exposed to that locale where their head or their hands might be changed. They continued to populate the temple, but they did it with a strict avoidance of that place where God worked. Now, say, well, that's a nice story about pagans, but we're not pagans. I know that. You're Spartans. And no, I'm not terribly worried about what a bunch of idol-worshipping Philistines did. And God doesn't even tell too much, doesn't really take any action about that. But it does concern me when that same propensity for God's people comes into play where they practice much the same thing. And you say, oh, but, 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 but I, I mean, I, we, we like you and you're a pastor's friend, but there's something wrong with you. God's people would never do that. Are you sure? Oh, God's kid love the moving in the Spirit. Yes, we do when God blesses us. I think we are more interested in blessing for the most part than change. Let's jump forward a few hundred years, shall we? Look with me, if you would, at a prophetic warning by the man Zephaniah. Zephaniah 1 and verse 8. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed in strange apparel. Now listen, he said, I don't care if they're the king's kids. I don't care if they're princes or I don't care if they're strangers and foreigners. He said, I will judge them one day. Look at what he will judge them for in verse 9. In the same day also, I will punish all those that leap on my threshold. Every other rendering of that you can find will say leap at the threshold or leap over the threshold. Somehow, that even God's people, they got this idea from the Philistines. They picked up their worship pattern from the Philistines. Can I just pause a minute and tell you our worship ought not be dictated by how the Philistines worship? 
Not even in my notes, and that's when I'm most dangerous. But I don't really care how the Philistines worship. I don't really care how the Charismatics worship. I don't really care how, how Brand X worships. I want to be an apostolic to my core, and I want to do what pleases God. I'm not looking down at the Philistine church saying, I think if we did that, it would be better. I want to look into this book and say, God, what do you want from me? And how do you want to work on me? That's all that matters in my life. But somehow they looked down there and said, you know, I hear the people down in Ashdod. They come to church and they step over the threshold. And God's people in Jerusalem, in God's holy temple, began to do the same thing. And God said, I will judge my people when they come to church but don't want to be changed. What fostered God's wrath and the promise of divine punishment was when the mindset and the philosophy of worship found its way into his own people. When God's people said, I want the image of coming to worship, but I don't want the image of Christ to be formed in me. I want the practice of tradition. I don't want the power of his touch. I want the outward show of religion. I don't want the inward shower of righteousness. I want formal conduction, but I don't want faithful conviction. Can I just pause a minute and tell you, God help us. We need preaching that convicts us. In this feel-good, happy, clappy era where everything is just supposed to be, oh, God wants everybody to be a millionaire. No, He doesn't. God wants everybody to be saved. That foolish mess on TV, all every TV preacher that's prostituted himself for the checks that come in through the mail, and he wants to tell you, oh, God wants to bless you, God wants to bless you, God. Listen, there are great blessings in living for God, but I got news for you. God wants you to be holy more than he wants you to be happy. If we think heaven is like our home shopping network to just give us everything to make things good in this life, that's not true. God wants to work on me so I'm ready for the next life. And if I have to go through stuff down here, he don't care. He wants me to be saved. I want to be saved. Hear me? I want to be saved. I want to be saved. I don't care what he has to do to me. I don't care what it costs me. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. Change me, God. Change me, God. Whatever you have to do in me to have me ready for the rapture. Change me, God. I don't want to get used to coming to church and stepping over that place where God could have changed me. People that kneel there, their minds get changed. They think different. People that kneel there start coming to prayer meetings when pastor calls them. People that kneel there, they support the church with their time and their treasure and their talents. People that kneel there, they live different. People that kneel there, they, they dress different. People that kneel there, they talk different. God changes something in them. Seems incredible to me. Just seems incredible to me. These faithful Hebrew men, men of the covenant, men of Abraham's bloodline, would come walking up to the temple with their sons in hand and say, get a careful son, be careful. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't run ahead of me now. You got to be careful right there. We, we see, we, we're members of this church, but we don't step there. Come on, son, watch, watch what dad does. That's it, boy. Come on, do it, do it. Ah, oh, that's good, boy. 
until that boy is 16 years old. He doesn't even want to come to the temple anymore. And now you're praying God change him. Can I give some young parents some good advice? Pick your son up and set him down in that place. Bring your kids to the altar. Don't wait until it's too late. Bring them to the altar. I want conviction in my family. I want conviction in my life. You can just see them. The people that kneel there, they've been with Jesus. They've been consumed with him. They're changed. It's just a lot easier to worship and avoid all that. And I beat everybody to Cracker Barrel. I just leave. I don't have to spend time with him. I just go do my thing. I've gotten used to it. I've been stepping over that place now for weeks and months and even years, and I've really gotten pretty content. It used to be when a guy would preach like this, conviction would bother me for nights on end, but I pretty much sleep just fine now, and that ought to scare you half to death. Tears used to run down my cheek in the altar, but I can usually step over tears now. My heart used to burn in me when my pastor preached, but I've pretty much learned how to dance around it now. I'm a loyal, faithful, regular temple goer who simply has learned how to position myself not to be changed. I come and I go, I enter and I leave, I arrive and I depart, and for the most part, I'm just like I was. There's no serious change in me. I have not. My head still thinks just like it did. My hands still do just what they did. I've not prostrated myself in worship, either in body or in spirit. I just stand on the pedestal of my religious heritage and practice unmoved, unchallenged, and unchanged. I am able to float with carefree abandon from Sunday to Sunday, having carefully avoided that place. And I established myself as my own Lord. I know this is uncomfortable today. And trust me, when your sweet pastor and wife ask us to come, I really would a lot rather walk in here and preach something that would have just made you like me. But I can't do that. And when I walked in with this message open on my iPad and, or on my, on my Surface Pro, I had the, this, the notes opened up and I'm just still, God, I can't do that. I can't do that. And your pastor gets up and says, I'm going to teach today on a Sunday school lesson titled, Change Me. You're working. So listen, I take no credit for myself, and I'm not exalting myself in this. I'm only saying that by divine plan and providence of God, your pastor called me. We found a Sunday that worked, and I'm here. And he gets up, and God put, do you think maybe God might be talking to us? I mean, can we be honest enough to admit that that lesson and this message, and it just all, maybe God is talking, maybe God is trying to reach out and get a hold of you and say, it's been a while, sir. Since you let me dig around down in your heart and really work on you. It's been a while, ma'am, since God really got down deep and started working on you. And here's the problem. I, the challenge is, do you still have that image you had from his Sunday school classes? I'd throw that up there. You see, here's the problem. It's not the, it's not the change me. It's, 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 it's change me. Me? Look at her. I promise you she believes God can change people, but she, me? You, you think, it, me? No, no, it's, it's, it's for the drug addict that comes in. It's for the broken derelict. It's for the homeless. It's for the, it's for the, 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 the weary and the wounded, but not me? Me? No, 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 I'm looking good. I got my dimple in the middle of my tie. I'm good. I'm fine. When I saw that image, I said, oh God, she sits among us every service. Me? No, not me. 
Would you close your eyes with me right now? I feel the Holy Ghost really trying to help somebody here today. How long's it been, sir? I need some intercessors to help me right now. How long has it been, ma'am, since the Spirit of God burned in you and pulled you to the altar? How long has it been, sir, since you were the first one to the altar and said, I'm sorry, excuse me, i got to get down there. Pardon me, let me out. How long has it been, or do you just kind of wait till somebody else goes, or maybe nobody goes? How long has it been, ma'am, since the Spirit of God and the preaching got a hold of your heart? How long has it been, young person? I know it does at Youth Congress. It's easy there, but how long has it been since on a Tuesday afternoon you called your pastor and said can I get into the church I just want to go pray a while I feel God tugging on my heart how long has it been since you fasted a day not because your pastor asked you to but just because the spirit of God was pulling on you how long has it been since God changed your life I am but a guest here and I don't know when I, if when I'll ever see you again but I ask you today how long has it been sir since you planted your feet on the threshold of a new tomorrow and said God change me would you stand with me here today and I don't know who's hungry I don't know who wants it I don't know who might be willing to come put the way you think on the altar and come put what you do on the altar and say God I don't know what you want to do in me but this is about me today it's not about some guest out there in the city that is yet to be taught a Bible study this isn't about some broken down old derelict that's shooting drugs mainline and heroin no that's not who you're talking to today God you're talking to me in my holy dress and my tongue talking background you're calling me God you're asking me me to come and humble myself and I want to be changed more than I want my image to be maintained I want to be changed more than I care what anybody thinks about me I want to be saved more than I want to look sanctified I want you to change me now I realize everybody can't get to the altar I can't point here you can build an altar wherever you are but I'm asking in your heart today is there something down in your heart today that could pour out yourself to God and let hunger lift your voice to this place now I'm done preaching but you need to lift your voice now and call out to God God change me change me I will not jump over this moment right now I'm honest enough to know God that you orchestrated this day to speak to me I'm honest enough God to and to recognize that I'm the guy on that screen I'm the lady on that screen you organized this day to talk to me so here I am, God, change me. Change me, God, whatever you want to do in me. Change me, oh God. Change Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.